Hey, everybody, welcome back to Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network, where we take a closer look each week at the wide, weird, and wonderful world of running. I'm your host, Jonathan Ellsworth. I'm also the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Off the Couch is presented by CBG Trails. The CBG Trails app is the only complete trail map app of Crested Butte and the Gunnison Valley, Colorado. So download the app today and start exploring. Maggie Gooderall recently became the first woman to be the last one standing and to win the Big Dogs Backyard Ultra, which is one of the most interesting and unique ultras in the world, in that, among other things, it is a multi-day race that does not have a fixed distance finish line. The race is completed and won when there is one last person standing. So in my conversation with Maggie, we go into detail about how this race works, and Maggie does a brilliant job of detailing what it was like to overcome the unique physical and mental challenges of this race, the significance of being the first female champion at Biggs, the next insane race that she has her sights set on, and more. And so here she is, the last one standing, Maggie Gooderall. Well, Maggie, how are you today and where are you today? I am feeling pretty rested and over-sugared, <laughs> and I'm in the office at Tailwind Nutrition in Durango, Colorado. Am I allowed to, like, out you right now? Because, you know, off the record, you shared with me what you've eaten today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I shared my nutrition plan for Biggs in a blog, so I feel like you can share my nutrition plan for the for the day for this Wednesday. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we were we were doing a bit of an audio check and I asked if you'd eaten any food today. And your answer was two things. Salad and M&Ms. <laughs> Just and the salad first. <laughs> OK, this so the M&Ms were not part of the salad. No. You know, I can't say that I've read all of your stuff on nutrition, but I don't recall any articles about, you know, salads and M&Ms. No, no, I don't. I don't recommend it either, but. I recommend the salad and I recommend the M&Ms in moderation, but I don't think that's what I practice today. <laughs> okay. Well, you are currently in this, I don't know, do we call it a grace period? That sounds, you're kind of in the, like, you have earned the right to eat whatever you want, as much as you want of. And you said though, that you're, you're actually kind of getting interested and eager to wrap this, uh, this phase up. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I gave myself until tomorrow, Halloween to kind of eat whatever I wanted. Um, uh, I'm not going to be super strict after Halloween, but I think the M&Ms for the mid-afternoon snack every day needs to stop. <laughs> okay. Um, now, are you going trick-or-treating? Uh, well, no. I don't think they let adults do that. <laughs> but we are going to wear costumes to work tomorrow, and a bunch of us have onesies. And it's going to be really cold, so I'm excited to have an excuse to wear a onesie. And, um, we're going to have like a potluck here. So we're going to actually have all kinds of food. I think some good food, like vegetables and whatnot, but also probably cookies and whatever. And then we might go on like a in-town bike ride around for, for the heck of it. Um, but we're not, I don't think anyone's going trick-or-treating. <laughs> okay. 
Well, I don't even know if kids trick or treat anymore. I feel like they go to like a park where people have their, they do trunk or treating. <laughs> trunk or treating? Yeah. Like people drive their cars to like an area and they have Halloween in their trunk. And so my kids get candy from that. I'm not sure. I got to ask someone with like kids old enough here to go trick or treating <laughs> what they do. <laughs> um, I will say I've never heard of trunk or treating. Really? Yeah, they do that. And like, I know that they did that. I'm from Philadelphia. Well, I'm from Westchester, Pennsylvania, but they did that in like areas in Philadelphia and stuff. I've already learned so much from you. Um, (laughs) The idea of M&M salads and trunk or treating. So really, I, this has been a very informative opening couple minutes. Uh, (laughs) I can't wait to see what else I learned in this conversation, but um, that's probably it. (laughs) We'll see. Let's talk a little bit about, um, a very weird, very interesting, very cool, and a big deal thing that you just did, um, yeah, like 11 days ago. Yeah. Um, well, if you're talking about Big's Backyard, I was. we're on the same page. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've done anything else worth it. I was going to say, if you've, done, if you've done something else that you, that in your last 11 days that could be confused with winning Big's, that would yeah. be am- truly amazing. I mean... No, I don't think reading... Half of a book required for work was equal to that. So yeah, we'll go with big. We'll go with big. <laughs> um, listen, this is this is just an amazing event, and I would like uh, just to make sure that people are very clear on exactly how this event works and the rest. So, would you be so kind to kind of walk us through this a little bit? What is Big Dog's Backyard Ultra? Yeah. So, well, Laz Lake is the uh, the mind behind it. His real name is Gary Cantrell, but he's most known for being the creator of the Barkley marathons. And I think most people who even don't even run kind of heard of Barkley marathons. There was the Netflix documentary, like, but if not, you can Google it. There's plenty on it. Um, but it's like the impossible race basically. And there's been 15 finishers since like the eighties. Um, and so, yeah, so this one takes place in his backyard. There is no navigation required. It's a super well-marked trail. Um, but the premise is a last man standing race. So basically, seven, for example, I mean, this year, 72 started, 72 runners, and the race goes until there's literally one person left. So you have no idea how long it's going to uh, uh, go on for. Um, so each loop is 4.1667 miles. And that number was chosen because in 24 hours, you'll have a hundred miles, um, distance. So every 12 hours you switch from a trail loop to a road loop and the road loop, the idea is kind of like at night, the trail's a little bit difficult to kind of maneuver in the dark. It's kind of rocky. Laz wants it to be as doable as possible. So that gives you a little bit of time to take care of yourself at night. Um, so the road loops really just an out and back of the same distance. Um, so yeah, every 12 hours you'll have 50 miles. So, um, it's just kind of easier to do the math. Um, and then, yeah, so you are allowed to continue as long as you get back in the corral at the start of the hour. Um, there's like, you can either choose not to continue cause you've had enough or you're whatever, you've got some issues and you're just not going to continue or you could run out of time and you just you're so fatigued or you slow down or for whatever reason, you don't complete the lap in enough time and then you're out. So it goes on like that for days. Um, this particular 
race is um, is the first year that it's the what Laz is calling the world championship. So last year, it kind of like really blew up, like the backyard ultra thing. So um, people would reach out to Laz and say they want to do their own backyard. You know, you give me your blessing and like, is this cool? And like, you know, Laz is like kind of like, I don't know, always thinking these crazy ideas. So he, you know, has his list on this Facebook group of all these races. And he chose a few of them to kind of be golden tickets to get an entry to Big Dog's Backyard. So those people from around the world, like literally around the world, there's like New Zealand, like Hong Kong. There's one in like oh, somewhere in the Middle East. There's one in India. Like they're all across the country and I forget how many total, but the, the winners of those were invited to come to bigs. Um, so it was a pretty stacked field this year. Um, and it's a pretty cool concept that he's created. So this was the first year that it was the world championship. <laughs> I like it. So, okay. Just to clarify, lap number one, first of all, the race started when? Um, it started on October 19th at 6.40 a.m. Um, that's civil twilight, so there's enough, regu- there's enough just natural light to see in the trails. Um, yeah, and then, you know, so the next loop would start at 7.40 a.m., but you can run the loop as fast or as slow as you want as long as you're back in the starting corral. Um, like I personally was running them with about six to seven minutes to spare, and that would be enough time for you to eat do whatever you needed to do, get off your feet, stretch, whatever, but then just get back in the corral in time for the next hour to start. So how many people are standing in the corral at the start of lap one? 72 people this year. 72 people. And how much difference is there in terms of strategy? Yeah, uh, every people have different strategies. Maybe some people just didn't have anything specific and would kind of like go ahead and see what pace they fell into and, you know, whatever. But, um, yeah, there's definitely people who wanted to do the strategy of leave themselves more time. There was a guy doing 40 minute laps, which do 20 minutes in between, which he didn't last much more than a day. Um, but you know, then there's some, there's one guy that hung on for a day and a half who came in every time with 30 seconds to spare. But I mean, he's amazing because he just kept getting in there and he just kind of knew that's how much time he would have and his crew would be ready. But yeah, he made it like a day and a half or so. Um, so there's different strategies, but something, I, I, personally, I think something in the middle where you're not wearing yourself out and a pace you feel like you can hold for days um, is like reasonable. Um, but where you have enough time to kind of, you know, take care of issues and do what you need to do. And I mean, this whole perpetual, repetitive start, stop, start, stop, it just strikes me as such a different thing and such a different factor from so many other ultras. And I don't know, talk to me a little bit about that variable. Well, yeah. I mean, I think what you do with your time between laps is as valuable as how you run the laps themselves. Um, last year I ran it last year, I made 183 miles. That's 44 hours. And I was pretty disappointed, um, with the results. I thought I could do way better, but I didn't, there's a couple of things I executed poorly. And one of those was what I did with between laps. Like I kind of just sat, I ate food, whatever. Um, this time I stretched and I was proactive about keeping mobile 
Cause I mean, you're doing the same thing than sitting, doing the same thing than sitting. Like think about if you go on like a 20 mile run and then sit and then get up, you feel awful, but now you have to go run again. So, um, so I think I was just pretty, pretty, um, focused on using the time wisely instead of just sitting around. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and you know, some people try to start napping like right away. Um, it's kind of hard for me during the day, but like first night I started laying down for naps, uh, at night and at night you have more time between loops because the road loop, um, we switch from trail to the road loop and, um, yeah. And just naturally it's a pretty, f- it's not flat, but there's, you know, it's easy. Um, it's just a road. <laughs> and so I was having about 13, 14 to 13 minutes between loops. So I would lay down for eight minutes um, and try to take a nap. And then five minutes, I would do what I need to do, eat food, you know, change a jacket, whatever. Um, and that worked out pretty well. And I don't know how well the naps were working, but it seemed to carry me into day three. Um, I felt less fatigued on day three, like less sleepy on day three than I did on day two. So who knows? <laughs> and just to clarify, so these eight minute naps, you know, get up for five minutes, that's basically happening from like 10 p.m. to 6 a.m., something like that, or am I off? Um, yeah, so we switch to the road loop at 6.40 p.m., and then we get off and onto the trail at 6.40 a.m. So you're going, you start into your eight-minute nap right right when you switch to the road running? Um, so not the first night. The first night, maybe around 10 p.m., I started to lay down. Um, just cause I wasn't tired and I wasn't trying to force it, but yeah, the second night I was tired the whole time. So that was the, the same pattern my crew and I followed, um, my friend Gina, Gina and Jen and Annie were crewing and we, as soon as I came in, we didn't say anything. They just had the sleeping pad ready, threw a blanket over me. They said eight minutes, we'll wake you up with five to go. And then we would do what we needed to do. Yeah. And that was like our pattern. At what point of time, or was there a point in time when you just got fiercely angry with them for waking you up? Uh, no, like I knew they had to wake me up and Jen was the one that would wake me up and she would do it so gently (laughs) and non-abrasive. Like she would just kind of like say, Maggie, and then like, you know, shake my leg or something. And, you know, and she wouldn't like be pushy or anything. She'd let me like kind of be groggy a little bit. And then, and then they would be like, okay, what are you going to eat? You know? Um, so no, I was never mad at them. <laughs> okay. I, I think if it were me, I don't care what your technique would be for waking me up at some point, I'd probably punch you. Yeah. So I don't, I just, I'm a, I'm a worse person than you. So, um, I think the fact that I never actually really fell asleep probably helped you, <laughs> but it was just like, I mean, Gina, my friend Gina crude said she has a lot of, um, uh, experience with sleep deprivation. She's done like 120 hour race called euphoria or whatever the time, 110 hours or something. Um, and she's done one, she did one mile every hour on the hour for a hundred hours. <laughs> um, and just like randomly on her own. Um, so she had some good tricks and input, but she's like, even if you're just not sleeping and just laying down and resting your mind and your body, like it's helping. So I don't know if it really was, but her saying that made me think it was, so it worked. So is there a clear thing that stands out if I ask you, like, what 
is the primary thing you think you learned from last year's to this year's in terms of the the primary difference maker? Yeah. Um, well, th- there's two things that I took away from last year and I, I focused on them to make them super effective this year. And like I said, the stretching, uh, cause my, my IT bands tightened up last year. And before I even, I usually just ignore things in races cause like a hundred mile or yeah, you can maybe get through, but like, I mean, there's little things turn into big things here. So, um, so that worked well. And I kind of tried to do more strength work and stretching leading up to it, like yoga. Um, so, you know, and any kind of problems that popped up, my crew kind of addressed, um, you know, like if my glute was tight or if my IT band was getting crazy, then we just fixed it and did what we could to troubleshoot. The other main thing was last year, by the second night, I was just like so out of my mind, fatigued and tired. I didn't get in a good night's sleep before the race because I stayed in a really crappy hotel, super loud. So this year I stayed in the Airbnb with my friend Amelia um, and it was super quiet neighborhood. So I got a good night's sleep. Um, but I also tapered caffeine, um, which I drink a lot of coffee. So, and I'd never like really cut out caffeine like that before. So it was miserable because I also was tapering from running, you know, and like that combination, it just made me miserable. Wait a second. Um, For how yeah. long, how long, prior, yeah, you've got, I'm like, this is now a horror story. Like yeah. you talk about like cutting out caffeine. So I'm- I think I would do it earlier next time because my complete, like, so I kind of weaned myself off because like I had bad headaches and stuff. So, but like around the first, I got back from a trip from a work trip in Tahoe and I was like, all right, I'm gonna start cutting back now. And I kind of like went to one cup a day and then by like uh, 10 days out or more, I cut just a decaf. So I had nothing and no caffeine. I felt like I was like, just life was not that exciting to me. (laughs) And I was just like in this daze. Um, and I was like, I hope this is worth it. I think it was because, um, I would hold off caffeine on the first night until like almost that very first morning, um, or the very second morning. And it seemed to wake me up for the trail, but that little bit of caffeine, the only caffeine I used was like from the caffeine caffeinated tailwind. And, you know, one scoop of tailwinds, a hundred calories with 35 milligrams of caffeine, just that caffeine enough was like enough, you know? And the whole idea, like last year, I started pumping myself with caffeine pretty early on where I couldn't sleep by the time I got to night because my brain wouldn't shut off. And so now you're fatigued, but you're also caffeine only carries you so far. Um, so I screwed that up. So this time it was more purposeful and it was definitely much more like I was much more conservative with when I took caffeine and it definitely paid off. So another huge element of this race is there is no set finish line, right? And I can see, so one really interesting variable, right? Is we're asking people who is the best at running for a while, stopping every hour for, you know, five to 13 minutes or something, and then doing that again and again and again. That's quite different. The other thing is you just don't get to lock in on the like only 50 miles to go, which I could just see that somebody might be wired a certain way where they're quite mentally tough, right? At thinking, cool, I got to go 240 miles. 
and I'm going to do whatever I need to do. And I know every step I take, I'm getting closer to that finish line. You don't have that luxury. And so I think that's a very different form of mental toughness. But then again, you've run both types of these races and I have not. So I wonder if you could speak to that difference and is it as pronounced as I'm making it out to be, or is that less of a factor than, than I might think? No, it's definitely a hundred percent a factor. So, uh, I think a lot of times people fall into that trap and they have like this goal in mind where once they reach it, even though, even though maybe they came to win once they reach that goal, they kind of justify why it's okay to stop. Um, I, I did it almost last year. Like my, my farthest I'd ever run was when I hit the 150 mark. I was like, this is, this is cool. This is one goal. And then my next goal was 200. But at that point I was just like, well, I did pretty good. And like, you know, my IT band is crap and I'm like delirious and I can't think straight. Um, but that's why I stripped that away this year. And I was like, you know, I took, I took a page from Johan Steen who won last year and he just said he would, he went to the line. He didn't have a goal in mind. He just, his goal was, I'm not going to quit. And so like he took the decision process out and like, it's, it's obviously easier said than done, but I had to let that sit in my mind for like a couple months to really believe it. And then kind of like, think about, I mean, I honestly was pretty like looking forward to seeing what it was like just to hit other milestones. Um, like, like to hit third night, what is it like to run through a third night? What is it like to go past 300 miles? Even though I just never had passed 200 miles, like, um, but just to kind of keep the curiosity and like, not have an expectation of when it's over, not to like, even let yourself think about when it's over. Um, it, it's definitely, I mean, I hope I can duplicate that mindset, but it's definitely took some time to set in. So, um, you want to know how somebody who is not that mentally tough would be what I would start doing. (laughs) 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 Let me, let me share you in on this. Uh, I think that I hear everything you say. It all makes great sense. That's cool. Let's, I would start with your attitude and then what I would do is probably start trying to size up the competition and trying to get a sense of like letting it be less about just me and like I'm going to keep stepping up to the line as you just said and a little bit more like I wonder how he is doing and I wonder how she is doing and I wonder if they're close to dropping did that factor in at all or did you were you really able to stay in kind of this focused it's really just about me and it's really just about me coming back to the line every single time Yeah. I mean, those thoughts crept into my head and then I reminded myself it doesn't matter because I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And it doesn't matter uh, like what anyone else is going to do. As long as they keep showing up, then I'll keep showing up. Um, And so actually it made for a very like not non-stressful race. It's the least stress I've ever been. Like, you know, when you're running a race, it's like speed and you're like, oh, are they doing really well? And like, there's such a small margin where you can feel crappy. I mean, you can't feel crappy at bigs either. Like you can't have a bad hour. Um, cause it might spiral out of control, but I tried to just be like one loop at a time. So like, if it's, if don't think about how good this person probably feels. And then I reminded myself that after, like after like a hundred miles, everyone's hurting <laughs> equally bad, even if they say they feel amazing. Like, um, so I tried, I honestly didn't really like, it didn't matter to me. How concerned did you ever get? Um, I never, well, a couple, 
early on in the first day, my knees started to swell. And I was like, are you kidding me already? I've been stretching. Um, but I brought it. I kind of like, I kind of ignored it for a while, but then I brought it to the, my crew's attention and they were like, Oh, no problem. We got this. And they were like, you know, they would like, you know, massage a quad or, you know, throw some tiger bomb on it or whatever. Um, and then we just kept kind of maintaining it. And each time a niggle popped up, we would just address it. So I stopped worrying about that. And I'm like, we'll figure out whatever, you know, um, unless it's like a huge problem and some crazy injury that I just can't control, which I can't control. So, but as long as we just kind of maintain, so, um, I didn't really have any super, like where I started to doubt myself. Um, there was moments I was so tired where I didn't necessarily want it to end, but I just didn't know how I'd pull through it or if I would get like mentally worse. Um, like the second night I was so tired, but again, I kept trying to hold off caffeine cause I wanted to save it for the third day. Um, cause I knew it'd be more important to be alert on the trail. And the third day just was really mentally taxing because I had to really focus really, really hard to keep the same pace and then not fall. And I kept falling. I fell three times pretty hard. And I'm like one fall, one more fall that, that could take me out. It's like, I'd hit my kneecap and then it could swell and I could not move anymore. So I was like, I was verbally yelling at myself to kind of like remember to pace and remember my footing and all those other things. Like I need to verbally do it. I tried to do it in my head and like, I would just kind of like start shuffling along too slow. So that worked, but it's just mentally taxing. Would you say that those falls, I mean, is this just what happens when you get that exhausted and you're just not picking up your feet as much? Yeah. That trail is pretty technical too. I mean, it's not like the most technical thing, but it is pretty technical by day three. Yep. <laughs> um, I mean, it's a typical Tennessee trail. There's rocks, there's roots, there's t- turns. It was raining. It started pouring that third day. Um, so it was pretty muddy. I think my second fall, which was my least hurt hurtful fall, was I took a, a switch back kind of fast and I slipped in the mud. Um but so you're sliding on the mud, you're sliding on the rocks, you're tripping on literally just tiny tree stumps that, you know, you could easily step over the two days before. So yeah, it just took a lot of concentration. I bet that there's a whole bunch of people listening to this who have run a trail ultra, you know, and have, you know, maybe run a hundred K or a hundred miler a whole lot fewer who've run a 200 miler, let's say. What would you say to them? And I bet like a lot of people, they're like, this sounds really messed up and super intriguing and interesting. What would you say is like the biggest difference? Uh, It's like, cool, you've run a really long trail ultra, but here, dot, dot, dot. Well, the biggest difference is just the mindset, I think. You just don't know when it's going to end. At the same time, I mean, yeah, Laz is trying to make it more of a championship, but, you know, people come for all different reasons and like, they kind of used to come just to see if they could make it to a certain milestone. Um, And like my friend, Amelia Boone is like this four time world's toughest mutter um, champion, you know, she'd never run a hundred miles, just pure running. Um, So that was like her first hundred miler. (laughs) And it's a fun format to run a hundred miles, hundred miles, but it's not easy. Um, 
So it's just kind of cool too, because of the community aspect and you are constantly with people. Um, so the time goes pretty fast. So I feel like, and it, the whole purpose of this race is Laz like created because anyone could win it. And like, there is no gender, there's no divisions. There's only like the winner and everyone else. Um, obviously you cannot get to like some crazy mileage or, you know, this limit that you thought you could never pass, like push past without, you know, the other people. (laughs) So like Will, who is the second to last competitor, the guy from New Zealand, um, well, he lives in Hong Kong. Like he is amazing. He pushed himself beyond what he thought he was there to do just for the sake of competition in the race, which is really admirable. Like he found his limit, but then just kept going, which most people stop (laughs) when they find their limit. They're like, here it is. And he was just like, basically just a shell of a, like his job was just make the race keep going. (laughs) Speaking of limits, two questions. Given how you were feeling through this particular event, right? with exactly how rested you were coming in and you were dealing with some knee swelling and the like, have you thought about or answered the question? Like how long do you think you could have been going at this particular point in time? If, if this had turned into twice as long? Uh, well, twice as long. I don't know. I have no idea. I know we could have made it through another night. I thought that if Will had made it. So what happened with Will for people don't know, he, um, I mean, he's an amazing competitor. He was dealing with this, you know, fatigue and calorie depletion. He had been throwing up, you know, his crew packed up at 36 hours cause they thought he was done. And he went for another day, like 24 hours later, so the last loop that we complete, just because of the time, the daylight's not equal, um, the last trail loop we complete is in the dark. So it gets pretty dark about, you know, 10 minutes into the trail. Um, but it got dark pretty early and it was pouring rain. So the trail is pretty hard to follow. A lot of leaves had come down and whatnot. But Will became real delirious and thought he was like in Hong Kong in a village and like he never made it out of the trail. So I lined up to go to the road loop. My crew thought we were going through the night. We're like, as soon as we get to the night, like Will's not going to stop. He's running strong enough that he'll be fine. Um, so we figured we'd take it into the third, third day, fourth day. Um, and then I really feel like the, who could just maintain the trail the longest. Cause uh, another 12 hours of trail after three nights of no sleep is a whole other story. Um, so it'll be interesting to see next year. Like I think the 300 mark will be broken. Um, I, I'm curious to see what, how that fourth day will play out. Um, because even the strongest trail runner is going to be slowing down. So it's really just going to be who can maintain enough mental focus to keep going on that fourth day. Um, so I can't really say, yeah, I can definitely make it through a fourth day. Like, I have no idea. Like, I don't even know what a third night would be like, but I was pretty confident we could both make it through a third night. I want to go from there to ask about a rather basic logistical question, which is how tyrannical things get when we talk about a runner being into back into the corral. Oh, there's a spray painted box. And if you're not in it, you're out. 
So how, I mean, you know, in other sports, you know, football, basketball, we have to go to the cameras and instant replay and see if the wide receiver actually caught, you know, had two feet in bounds when he catches the pass. I'm envisioning like some runner, like just trying to make it into the corral has one foot across. Were there any close calls on this or did it not get quite so, uh, not, there was some like within 30 seconds or so type of things. But three years ago, um, what, 2017, when Harvey Lewis and Guillaume Calmets went up for head to head for like 24 hours, uh, Harvey came running in with like seconds to spare, passed the line, then threw his leg back over because you have a timing chip into the corral. And then they took off. And so that was like the closest. Yeah. I mean, I think someone made it into a GIF and so. <laughs> Uh, nothing like that happened there. I mean, the closest, there was a couple of close calls, but, you know, the most nail-biting moment for me, at least, was waiting for Will to come out of the woods on that before the 60th hour, and then he didn't. But, yeah. A lot has been made, and rightly so, that um, you are the first female to win this event. And I know that resonates in such a big way for so many people. I guess I'm curious how much of a thing that is for you personally. It, it was huge. I thought about it during too. And I kind of like, honestly, that mindset's easier to keep focused if it's not just you running a race for yourself. If you realize like, oh, all these female runners are paying attention to this. Like they're actually rooting for you. Like, and then when I finished, actually, when we were standing there at the start line waiting to see if Will would come out of the woods to start this next lap, I finished. And I think like either Amelia or Gavin, my friend Gavin said his wife had said, um, you don't tell Maggie she's running for an entire gender, but no pressure. <laughs> and they're like, did you even do you know? We didn't want to tell you that. And I'm like, no, I realized that. Like, um, but it's really cool. And like Laz's wife was rooting for me, you know, I just felt like all the women in camp and like I had a three person woman crew, um, that was amazing. So I felt like it was like, it was really cool. Um, and obviously like Katie Wright, who was, uh, she was one of the final four. She won a golden ticket in the same format in, in a backyard in all, uh, New Zealand. So, I mean, obviously women have won this format before, but the big deal was like it, nobody, no woman had won bigs. Um, and it's like the world championship. So the first world champion of this backyard phenomenon is like a female, which just proves that like, you know, I don't think anyone really doubted like whether a woman could win it. It just hadn't happened. It's really cool. Really cool. Yeah, it um, is cool. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk to you about a couple other big deal achievements recently. So, uh, as you know, we, you know, I just talked to Mike McKnight about his triple crown win and we went uh, a bit more in depth, particularly about his, you know, recent win of the Moab 240. We also had a conversation with Zach Bitter, uh, after he broke the record for fastest hundred miles, you know, which of course is wildly different set in an indoor on an indoor track controlled temperature and the like, but there is a, there is a consistency, I think that maybe resonates a little bit about what Zach did and what you did, but then there's a length element that looks closer to 
maybe what Mike was doing out on this 240 miler. Um, I guess I'm just curious to ask you if you see any kind of family resemblance with either of those events, or if you think one looks a lot more like what you just did at Biggs. Yeah. What Zach Bitter did looks nothing like what I did. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Zach as pure raw speed. Um, I see one, one common thing with all three of these attempts is that we all had tried multiple times to kind of achieve what we did and failed or came up short. And so like, you know, Zach has tried, Zach had the world record, I think, or at least the American record, but he's made multiple attempts for this like 100 mile world record. Um, and he's finally achieved it. He worked really hard for that. And same with, um, with Mike McKnight, uh, who, you know, I find, I find like his type of endurance and like the kind of mental, whatever that you need to push through is more, I feel like relatable to what I did. Um, like, I mean, they both take this amazing, you know, what Zach did is more like a 5k, which is painful and I cannot do, and I hate them. (laughs) (laughs) And then more like what Mike did is, you know, like, I mean, it, it, uh, besides like each individual 200 miler as like a feat of endurance in its own is his like recovery. Um, and I know I talked to him after and he said, you just kind of went to like this mental crash, like this fatigue afterwards. Cause he was just kind of running on adrenaline for months, which is just like a prolonged thing of what I did. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, I mean, we both all, we all just kind of like worked to that goal for a while. I mean, I, I failed last year at like kind of getting this all together and learned a lot and came back and, and did it better. You know, as we talk about these kind of different arenas of human performance and human achievement, I'm curious whether you are particularly intrigued by any other displays of this. I don't know whether in track and field or other walks I don't know. Do you have an obsession with like, you know, 400 times or 800 times or, um, are you keeping an eye on and surveying the landscape? I mean, anyone who kind of through hikes is a beast to me. (laughs) Um, I did a backpacking trip overnight. (laughs) Um, but like, that's also another feat of endurance but also like resilience and fatigue and honestly just like yeah you know when the set distance is but you don't know how long it's going to take to get there and it's also kind of like I don't know if it's eight days or you know a month (laughs) it still seems like a long time to kind of like suffer if you start suffering pretty early on or you know I think I think that is, and, and, and just the pure like remoteness and loneliness of something like that. Whereas in a race, like at bigs, you're never alone. Yeah. You're alone on the loop when it gets kind of like thinned out, but you see people every hour, but like through hiking, you're alone for like weeks, (laughs) you know, I think that's just like, it's super scary, but also really cool. Could you say a few things about bigs versus Barkley. Biggs versus Barkley. 
is basically apples and oranges. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the Barkley Marathons, um, it's been going on since the 80s. Um, it's called the Marathons because, I mean, <laughs> uh, Laz is a messed up sense of humor, but it's it's a distance and everything we can talk about in Barkley can be in quotes. The distance is five 20 mile loops. Uh, we think the distance is probably 26 miles a loop. Um, <laughs> but he's but, counting. Right. right. Laz is, and he'll tell you it's 20. Um, the vert goes up every year, but the distance stays the same supposedly. Um, so it's like, ah, God, I don't know. What is he up to now? 70,000 feet of vert for the hundred miler, which is insane. I mean, that card rocks, what, 40 i don't know um so uh you have 12 hours per loop to finish um then there's something called the fun run which is three loops um and it's still a huge accomplishment but you do have about 40 hours to finish finish the fun run so um but if you finish over 36 hours for that third loop you can't go into a fourth loop there's been 15 total finishers of this race since the beginning in the 80s so it's pretty hard and it's a big deal and a lot of the people who finish most all of them made it a project and they it, like andrew thompson's a finisher it took him 10 years um jared campbell finished on his first time john feggy Veris, Vega, Vega finished on his first time um but it's pretty rare and um and yeah so you have to find books along the way um that's how Laz kind of knows you followed the loop um so you must come back with the amount of uh, it's up to 14 books now you have to come back with the 14 pages from each book along the way it's not marked you get a map you copy your map from a master map that Laz gives you um so you use a compass you know it's basic navigation but you have to know how to use a compass and and navigate in the woods um it's off trail mostly. There's a couple of trails, but not many. Um, and it's in Frozen Head State Park in, in Wartburg, Tennessee, which is uh, the, because that area was because um, there used to be a prison called Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary um, in the middle of the park. And um, James Earl Ray, the guy that shot, shot uh, Martin Luther King, uh, escaped from that prison. And they basically found him battered, bruised, dehydrated, and delirious, um, I don't know, 50-ish or so hours later. Um, he had been a mere eight miles from the prison in that amount of time. So that's where Laz got the idea to <laughs> throw a race. I mean, I won the entry, so I got a guaranteed entry. So I still have to apply properly, but like he'll let me in, supposedly, to, to because Barclay. of my, to Barkley for winning bigs. Um and same thing with the Barkley Fall Classic. He'll let the winners into that. They're not even remotely close, but it's a cool thought. <laughs> I've done it twice. I've, I've attempted Barkley twice. I've gotten one official loop each time. Um, but I've made three actual loops around. So I learned a lot. Um, but they're not even remotely close. I think it's very helpful mentally for me to be like, okay, my time at Biggs was 60 hours, which coincidentally is the time limit of Barkley. So I feel like at least I have a little bit of experience with like staying focused for that long. Um, although the kind of focus I needed for Biggs is nothing compared to Barkley because it's, it's a Mark trail and like whatever. 
um, the training for Bit Barkley is so specific with the amount of vert and the upper body strength and just like keeping speed while while being able to complete a lot of ridiculous amounts of vert and training. Not to be a buzzkill or anything, but um, I gotta say, like, if I just got done winning bigs, I don't think I like the sound of like congratulations, you have just earned the right to compete at Barkley. I'd be like, can I just get like a bag of M and M's or something? I, I don't know. That's a rough. That's a rough thing. I, I mean, it's originally why I, I went for the race. Like last year, I I went for it because I wanted the entry. Um, but this year, I went for it more because I wanted to win and because I thought that I could. And I like the race, and I I wanted to see how far we could take it. But it's a cool bonus. And Barkley is a dream of mine, and I I knew it would. Be be a long project. So I'm happy to take the entry. <laughs> okay. I have to ask, given that you have a thing and are real good at running weird events, what do you yourself have thoughts about like, oh, you know, it'd be a cool, weird race we could do. Have you come up with anything or are you just following Laz's crazy imagination here? Yeah, he's a pretty smart dude, and uh, he's also pretty diabolical. So, um, no, I mean, I honestly, it seems like my year is Barkley and Biggs, Barkley and Biggs. So, um, it's kind of nice when you go go to the start line of like a a thirty eight miler in the mountains that's marked. It seems just like you can, I don't know. It just seems different. <laughs> Okay, so you ha- you're not scheming up your own. No, but I did I did this summer. I um I I think it's kind of cool here now that I'm Durango, Colorado to like make up your own kind of fun training routes. So, I I kind of had this idea to connect all the uh, trail systems in Durango that are downtown. And then I saw that this kid did the seven summits. So he called out like the seven highest peaks around town. And I was like, Oh, that would be cool to connect those. And so I did it and it was a 61 mile run. Um, all just through Durango from like, you know, road to river path to another trail system, to a peak down to another trail system, to a peak. And that was super fun. So I'd like to do more of that. Um, just making up my own routes, uh, and, and, you know, doing, doing things I made up myself that are like, I can compete with myself on, but they're not actual races. <laughs> I like it. You want to talk about not running for a minute? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I have never run 250 miles, so I don't know what kind of recovery it is, but I want to be pretty careful because I want to go back into, I want to come back healthy and strong enough to start training full speed for Barkley, but I'm going to give myself till December to do that. Um, and so for the next you know month or so, um, I'm going to just kind of focus on different things. I mean, maybe it'll snow here and I can try snowshoeing and, and some backcountry skiing, which I have never done. Um, but, uh, I want to try more mountain biking with my boyfriend, you know, cause I'll say, I'll say, come ride with me. And we're going to Phil's world. That's like this mountain bike trail and Cortez he likes. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I have to run. I have to run for six hours. So <laughs> I'm not going to do that. But now I can, I have a gravel bike that I've barely ridden, which I'm going to take out onto a bunch of tons of gravel roads around us. Um, I'm also going to paddleboard this weekend with a coworker, um, even though it's freezing, but 
I got some little neoprene booties that apparently are like worn with a wetsuit. <laughs> no, hopefully I don't, I just can't fall in because then, yeah, you know, d- we're done. Don't fall We're in. done. <laughs> and yeah, I think, you know, and then I'm excited to go back to the vault, which is like a circuit gym here. And I never liked group classes. I was always like a pretty solo workout person, but I've been going with a coworker here and um, and excited just trying to like work on strength and stuff and, 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 you know, kind of do that instead of, you know, take a little break from running. First of all, sounds like you have a great boyfriend because Phil's world is awesome. And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. you would know. That's right. (laughs) Um, the other thing is, you know, I do think that it is sometimes the case that a lot of runners, they'll go through a big race or a big effort and, they know that there needs to be this recovery time, but I do think a lot of runners struggle with like not running. And I guess you've, you've just told us like all of these different activities that you are going to be doing or are thinking of doing, but is that a bit of a struggle for you to be like, Oh God, I should be putting some, I want to just get out there. I'm chomping at the butt to put, you know, miles in, or are you, actually good with like switching up and not running for a while is this a tough thing for you or a refreshing thing for you Uh, i'm not good at that yeah it's i running so easy and it's such a habit for me that it's just easier to wake up not even be fully awake put on shoes and go running but like you know biking is like more of a oh i'm gonna get my bike gonna get my little bike shorts and i gotta get my bike shoes and like I don't know. I make that sound like it's a lot more than running, but it's just not a habit for me. Plus, then you got to take your bike somewhere and go ride it. Like, um, and I feel like you need more time to do that. Cause like you could do, you could do a pretty good run in 30 minutes. Like I feel like biking for 30 minutes, not even worth it. Um, but yeah, like currently this week, it hasn't been hard not to run. Cause my body's still feeling, my knees still feel stiff. And I just feel like my if I tried to run, I wouldn't even remember how, <laughs> but, uh, that'll probably wear off soon. And so to have these other activities and, um, kind of like, you know, this is where I will kind of make a plan for each week and like plan ahead where, um, Monday I'll make it more purposeful where like, I'm okay. I'm going to go for a gravel ride on Monday. And then Tuesday, I'm going to go to the gym with my friend and like, um, that helps me to just know like, okay, well you need this much time in the morning, you know, for that to be able to do it. And then I'll feel better. Like if I don't do anything physical and I come to work, I feel like I'm really out of it and not functioning hundred percent. So I want to let you get going. I'm sure there's more, you know, salad and M&Ms that need to be eaten, <laughs> but I can't let you go before I just ask you kind of the most obvious question, which is why do you like doing these things? Yeah. I I go back and forth on the reason like why. And at the same time, I feel like for me, I don't really need to know or care why. (laughs) Um, but people ask me that and like, you know, everyone asks as an ultra runner or any, any runner, people ask you why, because you'll hear, Oh, you've run 26.2 miles. I don't even like to drive that far. And like, everyone has a why, but maybe they just don't know what it really is. Um, but I mean, uh, 
for whatever reason, running gives me purpose. And like, I think kind of to see how far you can kind of push yourself, um, is intriguing. I mean, part of it is, I think that their lives are kind of easy, not like lives are not, they're, they're stressful. There's things like you have to deal with that are real life problems like bills and, you know, there's sickness and death and sadness and whatever, but, um, like, you know, our lives are pretty convenient in that we can go to a store and buy lunch if we are hungry. And my computer can send an email to like 70 people at once. If I need to do something, um, I can get in my car and drive half an hour away to go like pretty far. And like, you know, I think we have this like innate human nature to want to do hard things. Um, and it actually, the hard things that I do make me enjoy the simple things in life more. Um, I just think it helps me lead a more like satisfying life. Um, but that's the best answer I could come up with when I ask why. Um, but it almost doesn't really matter to me. <laughs> you don't care why this is just what I do. And I, I like know. it. Yeah. Maybe I should ask more questions of myself. Like, why am I doing this? <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever you are doing seems to be working. Uh, so I think you might be doing just fine. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I will, uh, I should let you get going Maggie, but, um, this has been great. And, uh, yes, it's really, uh, it's a pleasure to hear you talk about your preparation for this. It's a pleasure to hear you reflect on, I mean, this is a big deal. It's a big victory and congratulations. And uh, a lot of people are just so thrilled, uh, with, with what you've done here. And, uh, yeah, congratulations uh, on all of it. And uh, this is definitely going to be a fun one to stay tuned to see where you go with all of this. Thank you. Yeah, it was fun. I, I liked your questions. Oh, well, thank <laughs> you very much. And uh, boy, I, I you've already outed yourself for Barkley. And so mm -hmm. um, good luck. You know, I guess immediately good luck not falling into the water when you're paddleboarding. I know. <laughs> um, enjoy Phil's world and uh, and enjoy your prep for uh, this big beast of Barkley that uh, already got your eyes on. Thank you. That's it for this edition of Off the Couch. Thanks to Maggie for the conversation. Thanks to Luke Alley for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then we'd encourage you to subscribe to Off the Couch tell your friends about the show, and maybe leave us a nice little rating in iTunes. Until next time, keep moving forward, and we will talk to you again next week.